listening to the Enneagram Journey podcast with Enneagram Godmother Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and the guest today is Enneagram 5, Stephanie Hewitt. Stephanie is a vocational coach with a master's in counseling, and you can find out all about her work at resetconsortium.com, and you can find a link for her in the podcast info. Stephanie is a former member of the Enneagram cohort. Stephanie and Suzanne are going to talk about fives and energy, fives and relationships. What is it like for an Enneagram five to have to move a lot as a child? And they're going to talk about subtypes. So I'm going to go ahead and get out in front of this one. If you want information on subtypes, go to lifeinthetrinityministry.com. There's an MP3 with several hours of Suzanne teaching on subtypes. Use the promo code 72. That's the number seven and the number two at checkout uh, to get that MP3 for $20. Suzanne suggests that nobody really dive into subtypes until three to five years of their Enneagram journey, that it can be pretty confusing at times, and it can also, in unhealthier spaces, uh, be used as an excuse for behavior. If you're going to learn subtypes, learn from Suzanne. Before we get to their conversation, a quick reminder, Suzanne is coming to Austin, Little Rock, Nashville, and Fort Collins in March. She is going to be teaching a Know Your Number over two nights on March 30th and 31st here in Dallas. So we're looking for information on that. And that's enough from me. Let's go ahead and get to the great conversation, Stephanie and Suzanne. Hi. You look good. Thank you. So do you. Thank you. Are you over all the angst of buttons and pushing and trying to make that? You know, I'm going to breathe for just a few minutes because yeah. I get so agitated with technology. So I just yeah. have to. Uh. You're better than me. It makes me cry. Oh, yeah. I could be crying depending on how bad it is. Yeah. yeah. Makes yes. me cry. Yeah. And then I say I can't do anything. And then I blame other people. That's right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Stephanie, first of all, I think I want to thank you from a real deep place for being a five and being willing to be on the podcast. That doesn't come easily for folks. Oh, you're welcome. Um, do you, are you, would you say that you're an extroverted five or an introverted five? Oh goodness. Um, I'm an introverted five, but I've had to learn a lot of extroverted skills over my life. Okay. So I just wanted to hear you say it so that I could say to everybody, listen up because it cost Stephanie a lot to do this um, for us and on your behalf so you can learn about fives. So thank you. A double thank you. All of that goodness. All righty. Early on, you talked about shyness. So um, you moved a lot as a child. Mm-hmm. and you're a five, and you're an introvert, mm-hmm. and you're shy. We talk about all that a little bit, particularly in relation to fiveness? Yes. Um, yes, so I have a really vivid story of my mother telling me to go buy my own ice cream cone. Um, we were at some, you know, some outdoor kind of event, and... Um, I was mortified that she wanted me to do it by myself. And she walked me over and um, did it for me. And then afterward talked to me about, you know, why was I so afraid? 
And I literally said, I don't know how to do it. And I don't, I, I don't know what's going to happen if they need more money or they're going to give me change or something like that. And, um, that was just an ongoing thing in my early years of working to, um, learn how to become competent at things Mm -hmm. so that I could kind of master or tackle those ongoing things in life. Okay. You're the first five I've ever heard talk about the future like that in terms of my, my fear was not engaging with the person is what I'm hearing, but it was engaging with the unknown and expectations that I might not be able to meet. Is that correctly put? I mean, I, I was definitely concerned that I would, I would look foolish with the person if I didn't know what I was doing, but it was more the bigger picture of, of not feeling like I'd, I'd be able to manage in the, in the large scope of knowing how to do things. Yeah. Wow. That's, thank you for that. Cause that's language around what precedes, uh, feeling incapable and incompetent. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've ever connected that Mm -hmm. to fear. I connect it to that's what makes you uncomfortable or makes you angry or makes you a little bit more cynical or sarcastic with people. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't thought about looking at it from what preceded that. And I should have because you're in the fear triad. So it's afraid of that reality. And how old do you think you were? Oh, I'm pretty sure it was about seven. Yeah. Yeah. That's really young to feel incompetent and incapable, right? I I actually had a, I was thinking about that when you mentioned the age, because I have a journal entry um, that I wrote in sixth grade. And the entry was that I felt inadequate and that I was going to look for ways to feel adequacy. Wow. So when you brought up at the cohort, yeah. um, just that deep sense and drive in fives about adequacy, I was shocked to realize at such a young age, I was already just keenly aware of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me sad when I think about being all, all up in my tunis when I was young, l- young like seven and young like sixth grade. You know, it's like, wow, I've been carrying this for so long and it's yeah. always been here. And I'm, and then when I think about that, I'm almost 69 and it's still here, mm. then it's a, it's a real encouragement to me to try to do the work so that I can not feel that forever, whatever yes. that thing might be. Yeah. Um, okay. This too really intrigued me. You talked about how you found out your Enneagram number. And one of the things that you said was that you um, were confused because of your subtype. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about that for a little bit. Yes. So uh, I heard you at the Breckenridge Institute speak on the know your numbers. Uh And I was a hundred percent confident from earlier reading I had done and after your presentation that I was a five, but I was confounded because I didn't 
feel like I sounded like any of those fives. And so you and I talked about that a bit and, and you were so great. You just said, um, read about the subtypes. <laughs> you didn't feed me the answer, which yeah. you were a good student of fives. <laughs> I mean, you could have told me that, but um, I needed to do research. And then when I read up about the subtypes um, and particularly the, the one-on-one or sexual subtype, yeah. it all clarified for me. And I thought, oh, that's... That's why I feel so peculiar in this, um, because I, I feel um, instead of withdrawing to an extreme, I, I feel very driven to connect to others. Yeah, yeah. And, and it didn't make sense to be that five, but also have that very strong urge to make those one-on-one connections. Yeah, my mom was a sexual five, and it, it's just a different thing. It's a... Um, it's an, almost an anomaly in the whole system. Um, it's like a self-preserving too, you know, it, yes. it depends on how you self-preserve, but still mm-hmm. it's a, it's very unique in that. Yes. Um, all right. How does a five manage being in a family that moves a lot? Yes. Yeah, so partly I think um, growing up in the military, um, I grew more and more comfort in, I think, leaning into my curiosity and my, my sense of exploration. So even though moving a lot required not being able to always know where we were going, I mean, my parents would know, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't really tell us much information. Um, it took landing in whatever the new place was and then beginning to explore. Um, Partly, I think it was beneficial. I had a brother four years older than me. And so he, he led the way in exploration and I got to tag along with him as a child. Um, But also uh, I think it, I think I started to lean into letting it feed my, my, kind of broader categories of fitting things together and seeing how they would, um, how it would all work. I think I got very fascinated with how is this going to work? So problem solving? Yes. Yeah. Lots of problem solving and problem solving on the fly, like having to do it quickly. And I think I got more and more, instead of that being a stressful thing for me, I think it got more and more fascinating to figure out how to problem solve quickly. So Joel, you, um, are, you share a line with Stephanie on the Enneagram as a seven, and we also moved a lot. What would you add was your way of handling moves? For me, there wasn't a whole lot of motion to it. You know, this is happening. So being sad about it or remorseful or missing the previous spot or previous home wasn't going to do me any help in the new home and I'm an introvert. So it's not, I didn't need, Oh, I don't have friends or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it was at each new spot, finding my space, like my space, Mm -hmm. both physically and um, in every other regard in our new home and at our church. Because, you know, we always moved because of church. So right. sometimes before we ever saw our new home, we had to go meet the 
mm. pastor parish relations yeah. committee. I yeah. mean, it sounds so brutal when my children talk about it. I wonder if that was true for your parents. If it sounded like, oh man, we had no idea that we were putting you through that by being in the military or by being in ministry. It wasn't brutal. I mean, I think as kids, even though you hear other people's story or what, what is normal, quote unquote, for other people, mm-hmm. it's not your normal. Mm-hmm. So, so moving is just what I remember doing. And we didn't, you probably moved more than I did, but moving every few years was just what life was. Mm-hmm. It's what it was. I kind of think, you know, I, I worry sometimes because we have a blended family. Yeah. And so with the children going back and forth, yeah, I, I worry about that, but they, it's what they know. Yeah. They're, they're very, they, we got divorced very young, both my wife and myself. And so they know two houses. Yeah. That's what, that's the life. They and know. they know that other people live at one house and don't know yeah. two houses, but it's, you know, it's not a, I don't think they feel like they're missing out yeah. or that they're being put out. So I hope, so I didn't mean for that to sound like it was awful moving. Well, no, it didn't sound that way. It's just like here, when I hear my children talk about the things they had to adjust to. Yes. And it, I, I wouldn't have wanted that for you. It was our life. And we also moved five times in eight years, but, and Mm. then we stopped moving, but it was our life. And that's, it's just hard. And each Anagram number struggled with something different. Yeah. It's not just easy to move. Yeah. But there are different aspects that were easier for some of us and others. And moving is easier in general for some numbers than others. I love the way that you put two that it was the normal you knew, Joel, yeah. because that that was very much true for us. I've often had people say, oh, you moved growing up so much. That must have been really hard for you. Yeah. And I've always said, well, it's all I knew. So it didn't really seem hard to me. It just seemed like something we had to grow used to. And I think the other gift to the military is everybody on the base that you're living on has been moving to. And so oh, yeah. you, have, you have that common culture of, of feeling uprooted a lot. And there was just something about that commonality that helped. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, this might be true for all future oriented numbers possibly, but if there's, if there's all of that moving or whatever the story is, and there is an absence, I can understand that trauma, some sort of event could throw a wrench in all this, of course. But absence of that, you know, all that, like if you are in a good spot right now, then it's, that all got me to here. It's not a. Looking back. Yeah. Yeah. And that moving, that it's not, it's a non-issue. I think there are other numbers I can see fives even possibly, but I don't know why I just automatically want to go to fours, but kind of looking back and. If only we hadn't moved. Yeah. If there was this and this place was terrible. So I was glad I got out of it because of all these reasons. Yeah. But this place was wonderful. And I wonder, wonder what could have happened if, if we had stayed there yeah. and I never uh, wondered what could have happened. I always had uh, an imagination. Yeah, what's going to happen. If, well, and what would have happened Oh, there instead you go. of what could have, it what was. Would have. All right. Well, you guys share a line on the Enneagram. So I want to play with some <clears throat> stuff right here while, because you also share a common experience that affected your life. We don't get that opportunity very often. 
All right. So for everybody listening, uh, fives go to seven in stress, but sevens go to five in security. And uh, Stephanie, you're oriented to the past. Joel, you're oriented to the future. And both of you are introverts. So how, Stephanie, we'll start with you. How does the move to seven help you? It does a couple of things. I, I suppose it's both the seven and the eight move that I do. Um, I need the energy. Let's talk for one second before you keep going beyond energy about yeah. the five, that that's astonishing. In all of the Enneagram system, to think of a five moving to seven or eight yes. is a big, big move. It is a big move. Yeah. You know what is so funny now, Suzanne, is um, <laughs> I, had a, I can't even remember the full context, but I, um, I could tell that I made an energy move to eight in the situation I needed to handle. Mm-hmm. And I was in my, my Jeep by myself and I laughed and said, oh, hello, eight, <laughs> because I was so aware of the energy move that I was oh, shifting to. Yeah. Um, and so I've grown a little more uh, comfortable with that move in stress also, that, that some of that um, seven energy can be helpful for me because it keeps me a little more lighthearted, a little bit more... Um, sometimes getting, um, resources like, you know, humor or, mm-hmm. or spontaneity or a sense of, um, open-handedness. Like I'm not going to get too convinced it has to be this way. It, it can expand and grow and, and it's okay to do it that way. Also, honestly, that reframing piece of seven, um, when I'm in stress is actually tremendously helpful. Well, there's a vote for reframing. That's yes. <laughs> good for sevens. Uh-huh. And um, do you, have you learned enough about the move and about the Enneagram to just get seven stuff when you need it or just get eight stuff when you need it instead of it happening to you? Are you beginning to draw on it? Yes. Um, well, I would say both and. Um, uh-huh. I because of the stress piece and because I will tend to not feel it when I'm under stress, I, I am sometimes taken aback when I realize how scattered I'm getting in seven. And, and are you saying that you don't feel it because of the, the, the reality that fives are disconnected from their bodies for the most part? Yes, absolutely. Like I will be, um, I'll be well into a stressful situation and not identify at all that I'm feeling stress or that I'm feeling fear. I'll just be trying to manage it or handle it, you know, cognitively thinking, and then it will catch up with me. And then I'll say, Oh, wait a minute. I am feeling stress and I'm feeling fear and I need to acknowledge that so that I don't, stay on this kind of spiral of scatteredness and disconnection from things that are going to help me right now. That one's trickier. Yeah. How do you feel it in your body? That might be really helpful for hmm. folks to hear. Are you aware of how you feel it? Um, you know what I've noticed more recently is I notice it in my breathing. 
I can tell my breathing is more shallow or I might find myself trying to take more deep breaths. And then I realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing like a fear or an anxiety that's affecting that. And so I'll, I'll more intentionally take more cleansing breaths and not the very shallow ones. That's very interesting to me because, um, my friend Carolyn, you know, you know, Carolyn being around here, Yes, but, uh, she sighs a lot. Mm -hmm. She'll walk into her room and go, (sighs) and I bet you she's trying to get more air. And I never had thought of that. I thought she was just sighing, just getting old and sighing. So, um, I'll, I'll find it interesting to talk to her about that. Mm. One of the things that you said and what you shared with us is that you love the word astonishment. And I am so intrigued with the fact that you use that word. I think fives have a tendency to look to be astonished, but I don't know that they're very often are. Hmm. So talk to me about the quote and astonishment and how all that plays into your life. Oh, that quote, um, that quote was a very distinct gift from God. I got this quote from a friend of mine on my birthday and it was from Annie Dillard's book, The Writing Life. And she says, why do you never find anything written about that idiosyncratic thought you avert to? to that thing you find interesting that no one else understands. Uh And then she goes on to say, because it's up to you. And um, the quote ends by saying, you were made and set here to give voice to this, your own astonishment. Wow. And it's, it's such a remarkable quote because it, it captivated me. I thought that is absolutely true. I, I look for ways to be caught up in my astonishment and in particularly in my work, um, being able to really partner with people that are creating changes in their, their work and in their vocation. Um, I get astonished by seeing that the gifting and the abilities that show up in other people. So it, it really fuels my work. I mean, for me, that quote happened and then I really made a profound shift in my work and I made all of my work about being a partner with others as they, um, as they create strategic work resets. So the thing about that that's fascinating to me that I'd like for us to talk about mm-hmm. is that fives generally don't like change. So the fact that you're walking with people who are making changes and intentionally resetting Mm -hmm. their lives has to mean that that comes from um, a unique gift that you have. And I would wonder if you've experienced difficulty with change and reset so that you want to be able to walk people through that. Is that all correct in terms of assumption? And can you talk about that for a little bit? Yes. Um, yes, it is. It is both 
very correct. Um, I, I had to very dramatically create my own reset through a very difficult divorce. But I think the thing that makes me comfortable as I journey with others in their resets is I become more astonished by watching their unique gifts and abilities show up when I'm working with them. So instead of the focus being on, you know, whatever has, has caused somebody to have to walk over that, that threshold and into a new sense of work or a place of work, um, I get very captivated and saying, okay, let's really explore who you are and what's showing up in your work. And so we get to do this tremendous, fun um, kind of archaeological dig of them and, and discovering their different gifts and abilities. Um, and then it's almost as if the, the stress of change takes the back seat and the joy of discovery takes the front seat. And then That's- it's less stressful. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's so yeah. great. That is such good language for fives because fives don't like change, but they do like discovery. Uh, that's a yes. seven reframe right there. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> Definitely. This is, uh-huh. this is new discovery. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Joel, what gifts does five give you? And then you're next, Stephanie. Okay. If I were to visualize it, like it's easy for me to jump lanes from one thing to another thing. Uh-huh. And I feel like fives stay in one lane. And when they start something, they, like I said, want to go deeper and go all the way through it and on that journey to completion. Like it's, especially for sevens like fives with the planning. Because you jump I, ship I've, I've got the idea and then the planning stage is where if I just stay with seven, it doesn't get done. But if I've got that five energy, then it can see its way to the end. It's usually pretty great. Both the places I go to help with that, both one and five. But especially we talk about changing whenever you go to your stress or security number, your number doesn't change, Mm -hmm. but your focus does. And your orientation to time doesn't change, but your focus changes. So when I have those moments or when I bring those gifts back into, you know, I don't have to be on vacation or be going through some horrible experience or stressful experience. But when I can bring those two gifts back to my everyday life, that's when my life is really going well when I incorporate all three. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it's with the five, it's slowing down. It's not as frantic, kind of what you described when you go to seven of. It's more frantic. Yeah. Yes, right. I get to slow down and it's less frantic. Mm-hmm. And same one. Like for a seven, I think a lot of times planning is doing. That's not true for five. Sevens, I think we want to, here's the idea. Now, if we could just go ahead and have the dessert, like skip everything, skip the meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, fives don't want to skip to the end. No, because it's a process that you would prefer to not have end sometimes. Is that true? Could you rephrase that? I don't know if I understand. Well, like um, generally the examples we use are that fives get lost in the planning, not because it's fun, Mm -hmm. but because they don't feel like they have enough information, which would be what would differentiate the two of you. Yes. Like Joel, really, as I watch him, 
the planning is far more fun for him than completion. But if I watch the fives of my life, the, the planning is about security and it's about making sure that you've thought everything through and you're not going to make any big mistakes and you're going to um, be sure that you're doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. All of that going on, mm-hmm. which I think is absent in seven planning. Mm-hmm. But there, there is for both of you a problem at the end. And for yours, it's that you don't plan enough. And when you get to the end, if things don't fall into place, you just move on as a seven. For you, it's you get to the end of the planning road, but you're not sure you've planned enough. Right. Right? Yes. Talk about what that's about. Like, what helps you finish? And what do you think would help other fives finish? Hmm. And does it have anything to do with seven and eightness? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Um, Often what helps me finish is being very clear about what my goal was. So um, if I'm if I'm getting ready to do, you know, a talk or if I'm, I'm doing some kind of work project, if I can re-anchor to, you know, what do I want my participants to really take away and it gets tied to meaning, um, then I do a lot better getting to that end and feeling, feeling good about, okay, you know, there might've been a few things that, that didn't happen, but I know I, I reached my goal and I know I gave to people what was beneficial for, you know, whatever the the project was. Sure. So let me ask you a question, a little, another question about that. Yeah. So is, is that because, or is it true that because you have limited energy, it matters a lot that you'd be able to look back and know that the energy you gave for that was wisely given. Yes. Yes. That's a very good way to say that. Yes. Because it, Oh, there's, I mean, I've had a, obviously more than a few times where I look back and I went, Oh my gosh, I expended so much energy and it did not meet the goal. It did right. what it was supposed to do. And it almost that, that futility is, is profound. <laughs> it's hard. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. So does it feel like failure or does it just feel like loss, which for me are different, but they might not be for you. Right. I, I think recently I've, I would name it more loss, like mm-hmm. actual grief. Yeah. Yeah. Because of wasted energy. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about astonishment a little bit more. What mm-hmm. astonishes you? Well, I think the reason that quote captivated me so much was I, um, I feel like I'm a midwife to the emerging of the Imago Day in others. Uh-huh. So I feel like my astonishment is watching something of God show up in how people live into their life and their work. Okay. So um, I get... I get astonished when I watch somebody just do a particular thing that only they are designed to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I get astonished when they, um, when they bring some kind of creativity or some, some unique perspective and they put it in language or, or, or paint it or design it and it shows up in a way that it impacts the world they're in. 
Right. I, I get completely, I mean, I, I marvel at it. I actually feel kind of that sense of marvel and astonishment. And I'll, you know, sometimes I'll be sitting with my clients and, and I'll just smile this huge toothy smile at them and they'll go, what are you smiling about? And I'll, I'll try so hard to put into words what I just watched arrive. Sure. And and I try to give them a view to themselves that, that they don't always have um, because it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. And I, I think people feel so isolated and so alone so much of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that someone who um, really values time alone mm-hmm. sees so clearly when um, God shows up in somebody else's life in unnamed, unplanned, but from your perspective, predictable ways. Yes. That is, of course, astonishing. And if we're not astonished, then we certainly, certainly should be. Yes. Yes. Because people really are, are so remarkable, honestly. I mean, there's such beauty and just a deep sense of wonder at, at seeing people be who they are. Right. And right. It, it is a delight to be able to see that in others. I, I, I feel you asked the question earlier, you know, what are some of the gifts of being a five? And oh, I'm just feeling emotional even thinking about it. I, I do. I feel that gift. Witnessing. Yes. Witnessing is a thing, isn't yeah. it? Yes, yes, it is a thing. Yeah. Yes, that's a perfect word for it. Yes. We talked a minute ago about orientation to time. And I'm curious, the fives that are close to me in my life, when they're talking to me, the way they talk to me is just about the past. Hmm. Is that is your talk style like that? You know, I have to tell you, I, I really understood what you meant, Suzanne, when you taught about orientation to time with fives. So this is another place where I feel like a bit of an anomaly because I, I get so captivated at what's possible that I, I kind of feel like perhaps, I don't know if it's, I don't, maybe you would know better if it's seven energy or eight energy, but that, that sense of what's possible and possibilities in the future often are what I find myself thinking about. Yeah, I think I that might be a a, a four wing gift. Hmm. Yes. Fours are their orientation to time is also the past, but they dream of hmm. a future that has other possibilities. Hmm. And they dream, of course, in Technicolor when they dream, right? Like yeah. they because it's that that's a a thing that also that can come from seven because. Fours and sevens both look to the future with great hope for possibility. Sevens don't question it and force then land in, but it probably won't happen for me. Sometimes mm. that's a, a mm. landing spot. For yes. Them. I do think that I have a very strong four wing. In my younger life, I would have almost guessed I was a four for a long time. Yeah. Yes. So I think that combination of head and heart is what helps you relate to people about hmm. what they want their future to be, not what you see as a possible future for them, which is a, you know, being able to assimilate what you learn from them 
as opposed to put on them what you think would be good for them is a, a four, five combination, five, four combination for sure. Mm. Oh yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What do you wish young fives? And I, I certainly am not being disparaging about your age or mine (laughs) by young. I mean, under 35, Mm -hmm. not little bitties. What Mm -hmm. do you wish young fives knew about fiveness? That is such a good question. Um, I, I think two things have come to mind. One is, um, depending on if, you know, what subtype they're in, you know, if in any of them, honestly, but I would say find avenues and ways to give it to other people. So, um, use it and enjoy it, but enjoy it in the context of community sooner rather than later, because, you know, that idea that we live in these habitual patterns and habits means it's so hard even by 35 to notice that your habitual habit is to have a playground in your head (laughs) where you're just thinking about all of these things all the time, but you're, you're not really communicating them or you're not really offering them. Right. Right. And so I, I guess I would say, you know, share the playground sooner. Um, And then the other thing that I would say is, um, again, in connecting to others is just realize without judgment, without, you know, not having kindness to yourself, realize that, that your interest in how others feel doesn't mean you're feeling what they're feeling. Oh, that's good. That you, you really do have to do additional extra work to have empathy and compassion and and ask them more questions about what it is they're feeling versus just being interested in the fact that they're feeling something. You've done quite a bit of Enneagram work. Do you think you could talk for a minute about thinking your feelings? <laughs> yes, I, I think. Let me try. Um, so... I laughed out loud during our cohort uh-huh. when you talked about that because um, of how readily I will, if someone says, what are you feeling? I'll say, I don't know. Let me think about it. Yep, exactly. Um, and then I, I often cannot put specific words to what the feeling is. I will describe the feeling uh-huh. by kind of maybe outcomes or what, what it produces, mm-hmm. but I, I won't necessarily be able to say, well, I'm feeling sad. Instead, I might say something like, well, um, I'm, I can tell I want to withdraw. Right. <laughs> and, and so it's so funny. I feel a little bit like a, an artful dodger. I, I don't mean to do it but I'm, I'm translating it to an activity or a product or something like that versus trying to actually dig down to the feeling part of it. Yeah. You, you uh, belong to the Enneagram space where artful dodging is 
part of the deal. Like that is, it is part of the deal. So um, I want to talk with you a little bit then about loss and fiveness and feelings that you can't dodge and that you have to live with and live into. Mm-hmm. And as we transition to that, I want to know if there is a way that people who care about fives in, in your experience, is, is there something that helps you feel your feelings rather than think them? Is there something we can do mm-hmm. or something we can say mm-hmm. that helps you n- not dodge, mm-hmm. but feel safe at the same time? One of the most effective ways, and I have a few friends that are very good at this, um, one of the most effective ways is um, if I'm talking from my head about something that has been profound in loss, and I've had a lot of loss in the last six years, right? they will say to me, oh, that sounds hard. And it sounds like it could be, and they may fill in the feeling word for me. Uh And these people know me well enough that they pause and they wait and they don't try to fill the space in. Oh, yep. Leave the space. So they'll just have given me a feeling and then they allow it to sit there with us. And invariably, it will allow that process to move from my thinking about my feeling to my heart. And then I will feel it. Or they're secure enough. If, if I say, no, it's not that, and I kind of wait there because I don't, I don't know how to fill in the next statement, it's this. I don't know what the this is. Um, they, then they might try to give a few more words. Well, then what about this? Or what about this? But they're secure enough that if I've discounted it or or dismissed it as not true, that that they'll keep trying because they know that that something has been going on for me and I'm trying to be present with it. I I just can't Can't do it it or, or articulate it or connect to it right in that moment. Okay. Are you able to know what it is by yourself, all alone, even though you can't articulate it for somebody else? Do you mean, am I able to put words to it if I hear somebody else putting, talking no. about loss? I oh. mean, I mean, if you're struggling with loss mm-hmm. and you are having feelings about that, mm-hmm. can you articulate for yourself? Like, do you know what the feelings are, even though you can't articulate that for somebody else? Hmm. It takes me a good part of a day to get there. Like it, it doesn't come automatically at all. And I, it generally I have to bump up against it a few times and then it occurs to me, but it often, it's kind of funny. It often occurs to me through some, some external, you know, like, like I'll, because I, I practice centering prayer. And so maybe I'll, I'll say to myself, you know, I'm noticing, Stephanie, that you're really angry. Right. What is that? And it's not because I feel the anger. It's just I'm noticing some activities that I'm doing that are angry. Like I'm, you know, talking back to a lot of drivers or I'm 
agitated about the dog barking or, you know, yeah, yeah. And I'll almost have to like talk myself through it or into it. Like I'll, I'll just have to notice it. I'll notice it out loud. And then I'll start to say, what is that about? And then I'll, I'll connect more to what the feeling is that's kind of fueling all of it. Sometimes you say, ah, I don't want to. I must be angry about something or I must be hurt about something, but I don't really want to figure it out. Yes, ma'am. I sure do. <laughs> I'm not going to give myself to that. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Because back to the energy source. Right. Exactly. It's costly. Yes. It's way too costly. costly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, you've heard me say more than one time and discuss that I think it is more brave for fives to show up for a relationship than any other number. That intimacy costs you so much and you have to give away so much that showing up is just very brave. Hmm. When a relationship is broken, do you feel like maybe that was all the bravery you had for that? Or do you feel like, okay, now I've been brave. I know how to be brave again. You know, I think five struggle an awful lot with how to get in a relationship, with what happens if a relationship ends, around whether or not to get into another relationship. So these are the last two questions, but they're hard. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, do you have a sense of, I'm brave now because I've done this and I can do it again. And then just so you know what the follow-up question is going to be, it's going to be how does your stress move and how does your security move help you move forward? Hmm. Oh, those are good and hard. (laughs) I can say that I don't think I, until I had heard you talk about it, I don't think I had thought about the level of bravery it cost Mm -hmm. or what it meant. I think back to reframing, I think I, I put it more in terms of trying to be courageous because I don't really feel brave, but I do feel like, okay, I can practice some uh, incremental courage. And so if, if I can break it down and say, okay, that feels too big. The, you know, the end result of, of trying to deal with this relationship feels too big. But if I can, I often say to myself, what are the next two steps? And if I can take the next step and then the next step after that and exercise some courage in that, then I find a path to, to be back into that intimacy or back into that relationship. But I can very much do what you're describing in terms of uh, be kind of removed from it and then say, oh, that, that cost way too much. I don't think I can do that. And so I, I have to be very mindful about um, moving back into, okay, what are the next two steps? Because back to the goal, I, I want to be about love and I want to be about forgiveness and I want to be about um, some of those values that are very dear to me. And I, I can't do those things if I, if I determine that I can't be intimate with there whatever go. the situation asks of me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's very helpful. And if one had done enough Enneagram work to know that they could draw on some seven behavior that would be helpful or some eight behavior that would be helpful, mm-hmm. what from each of those numbers kind of helps you yes. buck up and keep moving? Spontaneity helps immensely. Um, I think both of those numbers give the gift of spontaneity and, and it keeps me out of my head. I don't think so hard about, should I do this? I just do it. Yep. Um, I think also the, the value drivenness of AIDS and, you know, that sense of what is the, the strong and kind of willing to kind of march in quality of an eight. Mm-hmm. Um, can fuel fear so that my fear doesn't get the best of me. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny. Sometimes if people are talking with me about the Enneagram and they, they say, you're a five, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's because they, they have mostly seen me in kind of those eight world, you know, my eight, my eight moves. Yep. 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 And they, they are kind of surprised or shocked, A, that I'm an introvert or B, that I'm a five um, because I, I work hard to stay an eight because eight keeps me active and moving. Yep. And, um, and I can tell if I've slowed down and if I'm in my withdrawing stance and I'm just, you know, I've put the halt on to something. Um, so I, I work hard to keep letting that, those energy moves um, fuel activity that is meaningful and important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I will say that you're very articulate about both thoughts and feelings, which is a a testament to how much work you've done. Mm -hmm. And I am quite sure that what we did together in our conversation today will be really helpful to fives and to people who love fives. Mm. I think it's difficult to help a number that has too much social confidence. And I think it's difficult to help a number that doesn't have enough. Mm. And you've been very helpful um, and brave. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. Suzanne, it was so delightful. I, you know, I think I wrote in my, my note to you um, that part of being able to breathe into doing this podcast with you today was just that I would get a chance to talk with you one-on-one. So well, I'm very grateful for that opportunity and just how much I've learned about compassion and kindness and um, being able to really keep feeling astonished by other people just through the Enneagram that you teach. It's such a gift. So thank you for letting me join you. Oh, you're so welcome. Come see us. Yes, I will.